Before we get started, we just wanted to say thanks for listening. Definitely. Thanks a lot for listening. And please rate the Taste Podcast on iTunes. Uh, five out of five would be great. And also leave a comment. We read the comments and we really like reading them. Yeah, they're really great. We, we You could tell us what your favorite episode is. You could tell us what favorite dish you make at home is. Tell us what we're doing wrong, what we're doing right, what else you'd like to hear about. And we love it when you tell your friends about us, too. Oh, yeah, for sure. Tell your friends. Share the links. Tweet. Tell your mom. Tell your grandmother. Do grandmas listen to podcasts? Absolutely. Many grandmothers listen to podcasts. They love the Taste Podcast. We've heard from them in the comment section of the iTunes store. And also write us at hello at tastecooking.com. If you have ideas about people we should have on the podcast or topics you'd like to hear covered. We would love to hear from you. Here's a new episode. We had Asian bears in the space, and it's yeah. a place that we have pretzels and, and sausages. So let's make that happen. And then something really special happened that I did not think would ever happen. But Kobayashi, who's the champion hot dog eater, was there and, like, doing this photo op, like, sort of deep-throating this <laughs> hot dog onigiri. And I was like, this is insane. You're listening to The Taste Podcast. I'm Editor-in-Chief Matt Rodbard, here with Senior Editor Anna Hiesel. On today's show, we have Angela Demiuga, former chef at Mission Chinese Food in New York and currently the creative director of food and culture at Standard International. We also have Deb Perlman answering a reader question. First of all, Matt, what did you and Angela talk about? What was your conversation like? Angela, she's so young, but also so accomplished. She's been through so much. She's one of the most creative chefs I, I know in New York. We talked about the amazing food she was putting out at Mission Chinese Food, this umeboshi and shiso fried rice that is in my restaurant hall of fame. It's one of my favorite dishes ever. What is she up to now? Well, she works at The Standard, but she's not just running restaurants. She's running culture there. She's rethinking room service, rethinking what is a, a hotel restaurant. She's thinking about parties and, and inclusivity within um, kind of the party dynamic of hotels. It's a really cool conversation. Here's Matt talking with Angela Demiuga. Angela Demiuga, thank you for joining the Taste Podcast. I'm glad to be here. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah, I've followed your career for a long time, and I, I just got to say, dude, nice job. Like, <laughs> this new job at the Standard sounds amazing. Yeah, so the project itself is fun. Like, it really related to stuff I was doing personally because I always think about site-specific work or what I would do uh, for a specific um, event or time and place for whatever, like, whatever, like what I'm interested in or what's happening um, politically or what I'm interested in or who I'm trying to collaborate with. Um, and that really lends itself well to this w new job that I have. The different locations nationally allow for these like really fun different activities. And probably some more internationally. We won't get into that. But let's, <laughs> let's just say I, when I observed uh, the rollout of you becoming the creative director of The Standard, I was like, you're not the typical creative director of a hotel group's food and beverage. I mean, it's been this like white male straight boys club for most of history. Like the Thomas Kellers and the Eric Repairs of the world typically get these gigs. Yeah. And I just am I'm so excited that you can have this opportunity. Do you feel like this is a, a unique situation? Yeah, absolutely. This was not never something that I ever dreamed of. Um, I knew that when I was leaving um, Mission you know, with my chef role, that what I wanted to do, I couldn't, it couldn't have been anything I thought of. And then when this happened, 
it was obvious to me that I needed to take it because Mm -hmm. it was more of a response to the work that I'd been doing just in general and then a a place to do it with a wider platform. So definitely never thought of this type of job ever. And, you know, specifically with the title, um, it's it was always offered to have a creative direction position in food and beverage. Um, But I love that, you know, there was flexibility to make it about what my goals were, and that is to really think about food and culture as something that has to be unified. Angela, tell me, what is so great about a hotel restaurant? I feel like there's a lot of reasons we go to hotel restaurants, but why do you love working in this world now? Well, I've always loved hotels. Even when I was a a younger like cook or thinking about cooking as a profession. I always love this um, idea of there are restaurants, um, it's part of hospitality, and then there are hotels that include restaurants that is like another level of hospitality. And I, I think that there's this opportunity to surprise and delight in, yeah. in a greater way. Like I've spent, you know, when I was a young line cook, I would save all my pennies and do staycations randomly <laughs> at a hotel like near the Queensboro Bridge, like just for fun. Whoa, and, like, a nice to, hotel? A... Just like a medium hotel, yeah, yeah. like a $300 hotel yeah. that's like maybe poorly made. <laughs> but I just like the idea of, you know, you just be, you just have you just become like in this different mindset when you're a guest at a hotel. And then I like all the opportunities to have thoughtful offerings. And I think that attention to detail is something I really care about. And, you know, having the task, for example, to think about mini bars, that's super fun. And yeah. it, it doesn't only need to just be about food. It's which, not just like McClure's pickles. Like we can move beyond that. I'm yeah, sure. yeah. Yeah. It's like having like a cool olive that's fine but then it's it's also about the little objects that you can maybe sell retail that belong in a hotel room like something that i want to do is like maybe non-food related like think about sex positivity and think about you know at at cool hotels people offer condoms but that's very like you know it's not as inclusive and so you know i'm thinking about what are sex other sex positive objects that we could sell Mm -hmm. like maybe like some like lube or toys, something like that. Toys, toys. Yeah, I don't know. I just with like a that's, Z or something. Yeah, yeah. It's toys. like fun to brainstorm that. Nah, and, like, I love this it. is part of my job. This now. is like not what you were thinking about twenty four months ago when you were at Mission no. Chinese, right? No. no, and and that's why I love doing pop ups and special dinners yeah. because, um, you know, if you're being super creative as a chef, it's I like I liked being sort of painted into a corner. Like, hey. Would you like to do this event here um, mm. for this specific purpose? And then you can make something that you never would have thought yeah. of. So I feel like this job inherently is that. I loved your food at Mission. I just want to know, like, what were some of the dishes that you were most proud of there? I think there's it was the yeah. menu was rotating. You were like the creative force behind Mission Chinese Food. Mm-hmm. Tell me, what do you, what what are you most proud of? Yeah, there there are three that I think about nice. a lot. Um, one of them was um, a red cabbage salad. That was like my first dish that I cold, made. Cold, right? Yeah, the cold yeah. red cabbage salad. And um, that was super fun to make um, there because I was really thinking about how to complement the super spicy Sichuan dishes. And thinking about complementary um, dishes is, I think, the way that I think about like collaborating with people, like how can we amplify um, each other and, and make it stronger. So it was there was a cold cabbage salad. Yeah. Um, and that was really fun and beautiful. And then um, like later, so it was in my last year that I worked at Mission, uh, we developed this um, ume shiso fried rice. So it was just uh, Japanese pickled plum and shiso. And the way that we played it made me really excited because I got into this um, book about 
18th century like Swedish dinners, and I like this idea of like ornate, Victor- like ornate um, plating styles, like the cake or like the the rice looked like a cake. We're talking about rice. Typically, fried rice is in the shape <laughs> of like a mound. Yeah, like and it has it's like the size of like a softball. But how are you? We were making mo- it. We were molding this pink rice because it was yeah. scented and flavored with pickled plum, which was pink, and molding it into. Um, like a flat rice bowl, so I had a flat top, and then doing a chiffonade of shiso, and then mm-hmm. putting that around it like a like a border, and then dotting it with more pickled plums, more. so it looked like a little cake. But I love that too because that was a way to introduce butter, so and dairy in Asian cuisine. That was a fun task for me to think about. The had dairy in it. Well, we added um, really nice butter to the rice, um, yeah, right. and so it added this oh. it added this other la- layer of mm. richness. Like the dish itself, everyone thought of as like very um, very light, but with all of the other food, it still ha- was able to stand on its own two feet. And a lot of it was because there was like this extra layer of butter that people didn't know about. And I loved to think about how we can sneak things into people's food That's and like make them really That's like extra fried rice it. right there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then there was the fried rice. And then lastly, my grandmother's chicken, um, which was for me like a really technique-driven Filipino dish. And I think a, pe- a lot of people don't don't think about technique when they think about Filipino food because we think a lot about I'm raised meats. When I, you're so right. It's, people just, it's, it's really interesting. It's like people think of like the stews mm-hmm. mostly. but Which are great. And there's technique there. Yeah, yeah. the idea of technique and mm-hmm. Asian cuisine. Yeah. People... Especially Filipino food. Yeah. Like when I learned how to make uh, this dish, it's a chicken rolleno. It was a, a mm-hmm. version of my grandmother's dish. Yeah. Um, it's basically a chicken galantine, but mm-hmm. it's like a, ca- a galantine that's also stuffed uh, with eggs and it's just a beautiful cross section and people don't n- normally think about Filipino food as being technique driven so that was like really important to me yeah how do you break through with a dish in this like super noisy world where <laughs> I think it's like so difficult to to create something new and fresh but as a career director of a restaurant grew a hotel group you need yeah. to do this time after time after time yeah how do you think about that challenge well I think it- I think that the site-specific aspect that we mentioned earlier makes something really unique. For example, um, you know, this was really, really simple and came up maybe two days before the event happened. But we did a, a bear event during Pride at the Beer Garden, and that was really fun for me to try to prepare because uh, typically the Beer Garden has a specific type of guy that likes sports and like you know drinking <laughs> tons of beer. Garden on the yeah, line, like and that totally. and I like that. I like that there's a place for everybody. Yeah. But I also like this idea of bringing in some bears and then specifically thinking about. Um, hosts that were friends of mine that I could reach out to. Uh, They're called Massive, and they sell um, queer Japanese manga. Um, And a lot of people that are models for some of their apparel are these, like, POC bears, these, like, Asian bears. And so I love this idea of, like, Asian bears or POC bears because when we think about bears, do we think about Folsom Street? And there's, like, this type of guy that isn't, like, the type of massive guy that we know. And so we had... Um, the massive crew in there and then last minute I decided that I would work with Chef Kevin at the grill on making onigiri so like the triangular shaped Japanese rice balls but then throw in our really good hot dogs in it to make it like protrude out so it was just like this funny moment like a hot dog onigiri with and, bears yeah and it's like you know that we had Asian bears in the space and it's yeah. a place that we have pretzels and, and sausages so let's make that happen and then something really special happened that I did not think would ever happen but Kobayashi, who's the champion hot dog eater, was there and like doing this photo op, 
like sort of deep throating this hot dog onigiri. And I was like, this is insane because I always loved just this concept of this like small Japanese dude for years when I was living in New York City at like 20 you know, being able to eat. I mean, so many hot free dogs. Kobayashi. Like he's been banned from competing in that competition because he doesn't. He refuses to obey by the Shea Brothers rules. And <laughs> like, let's just say free Kobayashi on the Taste Podcast. <laughs> I don't know about yeah. Wait, I don't know about this. Uh, what what what? I don't know this about this. Like the you know like the the Fourth of July eating competition. Yeah, yeah. He's Joey banned. Chestnut's won several yeah. years in a row. Yeah, well, Kobayashi yeah. hasn't been able to compete because he's he, too good. Well, they won't pay. Like he wanted more money. Like those mm-hmm. guys who run it. It's like kind of like wrestling. Like they yeah. dictate the contracts and Kobayashi is like fuck that I want <laughs> yeah. my money and you know it hasn't really worked out so he's been he's around during 4th of July and Pride you know he's around New York during mm-hmm. that time frame but he's mm-hmm. not competing oh I love it you know so much about thank do, you do competitive eating is red yeah a question about bears have you seen the St. Vincent video slow oh. disco the remix yeah actually do you know um, that video it's all it's rad. I just I was just shown the video by um, our chief creative officer Landis and Liz Lambert um, from the Standard also. So they they showed me the video, I, so I hadn't seen it. Everyone knows about this video. It's a it's a really good video. I like the original song better. The mm-hmm. remix is I'm not feeling it so much. Just just this is not a music podcast, but I just <laughs> had to say that. Um, it's important, but it's cool. I mean, you're clearly creating these spaces that are so original and inclusive. And is that a big part of your mission? I mean, you want these inclusive, you want standard to be an inclusive space, right? Yeah, that's super important to me just because I think that's, whether people know it or not, that's also, I think, what we want hotels to be like as well. And being in the hospitality industry in general, being a chef, that's always been important to me since I was allowed to make decisions that way. You know, when I was a line cook, you kind of just think and not, you just you you're not you're only allowed to just do and not think. And then once you become a chef and a leader in mm-hmm. a kitchen, um, there's so many ways that you can influence um, a restaurant as a living, breathing yeah. space. Um, and then you know, moreover, now with my like me working with hotels, this is another opportunity to do this in a bigger way. And so that means also thinking about nightlife, which is something I really like. That somehow. I'm someone that is a part of night, the nightlife world. I don't even really know how that happened. And a lot of it was my initial interest in throwing my own parties. I was like interested in throwing POC, lesbian-fronted parties, um, and that now being asked to host lot, lots of different parties. Like I have not, you know, I've been interested in New York City nightlife, but never And as, now as you an have organizer. your own spaces. Yeah. I mean, then the standard uh, at Highline, you've got incredible spaces for parties there, right? Yeah, and there's like a bunch of different places for for different reasons that we could throw a party. Yeah. I'm doing like a swimsuit design, uh-huh. um, and we're launching it at LeBain. I had um, an announcement party, and we had it at Top of the Standard. I love the view. I mean, those it's it's important great. for me to bring in like my like community into those spaces. Those as spaces well. haven't. In my my perception, I'm not a nightlife guy, but I feel like those spaces have not been as inclusive as you're aiming for. But with you running the being a creative director of those spaces, I'm really hopeful. Yeah, and it's they exciting. just they just will because <laughs> we'll be organizing parties at exactly. those spaces. So 
It's it's like a I don't know it's a it's a dream to be able oh. to that room is insane. The ba- La Bain, yeah. it's a dope room. Yeah, yeah it's a great yeah. room. Tell me about collaborations. I mean, are you still working with Ariel Johnson on the fermentation project? Yeah, so we actually were just emailing. I um, love Ariel. She's amazing. She's, yeah, she's, she's like, one of my favorite people in the she, world. She like shot me down on Twitter when I tweeted some dumb <laughs> shit about MSG. Like I I like sided with somebody who said uh-huh. something dumb and he, she was like just like straight up like you're nonsense. Yeah. And I was like I respect that about Ariel Johnson. Yeah, and she'll shut people down and. <laughs> And, and I think that's a big reason why we've got along because we always think about our work in these male, you know, it's mm-hmm. still male dominated. And, you know, I, I don't think that's a tired thing to say because it's still true. And so we really relate on that level where we can just talk about the work that we do or what we're trying to do for the food world or her with food mm-hmm. and science or culture specifically. She gets it. Mm-hmm. And she's someone that I think is a huge force. Yeah. So what are you working on with her? What is the fermentation project? I know she's authored uh, is authoring a book on mm-hmm. fermentation, but yeah. what do you plan to do with so her? So we have been working on a project to um, do the first fermentation uh, food safety plan um, in New York City. Um, and so we've been working with Meta in Brooklyn because they have mm-hmm. a huge um, – yeah. They, have, they, they ferment so many different things. And so we've been working with them on creating a food safety plan. Um, so it's been fun because yeah. we will take these meetings but then just nerd out on different processes. I mean, that's like not sexy work. You know, you're not going to be <laughs> on the cover of a magazine for doing a food safety plan. But it's it just shows that you're, it's an altruistic move. You really want more folks to be able to get certified because – I think fermentation is all about sneaking around the rules, right? Yeah, and that's not fun. Like, not fun. You know, there's some there's a fun aspect when you're 20 and you're like going to bars and trying to get in, but like this is about like pushing the food industry forward and thinking about how people could think about um, you know probiotics that are created in the fermentation process. They make the food flavorful, and so that just gives everyone opportunity. The idea behind that is gives everyone opportunity to think about how we can all utilize these processes um, in a way that's flavor focused. And we all love these flavors and a lot of, you know, and so if we're doing that for a place like Meta, the idea is that other places can follow suit um, and, and, and actually about, have like a put yeah. lockers and be able to yeah. like, show off their fermentation projects and not have to put them in these. And hide them or throw them away. Throw them away when the yeah. cops come by, the, the police cops. Police so cops, yeah. speaking of regulation, what do you think about the activated charcoal ban in New York? You know, I didn't even know about that. Uh-huh. I just read about it because you let me know about it. <laughs> um, I've always been interested in it as yeah. a, um, fl- like, it's not, the funny thing is it's not, for me, it's not for flavor. It's an aesthetic, thing. It's an aesthetic but I always enjoyed it. But it c- could be paired with flavor. For example, um, Mission did a collaboration um, with Black Seed back in like 2014. They did like chef collaborations, and we made a black bagel, but it was also seasoned with squid ink. So there was this layer of like fishy funk to it, which I also really liked. Um, and so I think that was super important. That's like where my interest level with um, charcoal lied is that it can sort of amplify. Like if you think about a red lollipop, you're like cherry. So squid ink, you think black, and the activated charcoal. Yeah, exactly. The activated charcoal really just elevates that. So it was like a white poppy seed bagel, mm. um, Iberico ham, and kefir cultured butter with, with anchovy. So it was very like, there for, for me, these these trends um, and, and health trends, I think there's always a layer of like the utility and purpose within food. Um, I've thought about that a lot. Similarly with adaptogens, like thinking about ashwagandha, um, it's a 
it's a de-stressor. Um, I think the best way for me to talk about adaptogens is that it it's kind of like a, a more local uh, version of how we can think about Chinese medicinal herbs as like Westerners. And so people use it in powdered extract form and not for flavor. They'll just throw it into a smoothie, which I really appreciate that. Like I do it as well. What are some over-the-counter like uh Reishi, yeah. yeah, like things like reishi, cordyceps. There's a lot, cordyceps, but yeah. the cool thing is, is that there is a woman um, who sells fresh adaptogen, fresh dried from Pennsylvania, um, from Furnace Creek Farms. Seeing the gnarled root, you know, in the in the pure form, not in this beautiful jar that's like forty bucks. Which, again, I still appreciate that. I think for me as a chef, I think it's interesting to think about the the whole root that we could get locally at the Union Square Green Market. And then cook with it for flavor. I think um, it kind of goes like this activated charcoal conversation is interesting because it goes into this other realm of flavor or what's what what is wellness like what are how do we use this in cooking and I like that people got really weird with it and put it in yeah but then it got drink. banned all of a sudden yeah because the cops just the, they didn't want it <laughs> they, there was like some potential links to diseases etc but. Yeah, I mean, I get that, too. Like, I, I've known people that also take activated charcoal as supplements. Yeah. Um, and then really it did really well for their bodies and their digestion. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, rec- I, I've known a friend that, like, recommended to another person and then yeah. it made them feel sick. So, like, I get that yeah. it's tricky. Like, these mm-hmm. things are tricky. But I like that people got interested in it to for, for people to th- rethink about what food should look like and mm-hmm. and what we should be consuming so i like that challenge i think it's fun yeah it's really fun i want we always ask this question on the taste podcast uh angel give us your uh your dream cookbook project um, what cookbook do you want to write i don't know i wish i had i mean i i i have an idea of what plural these cookbooks are <laughs> um, a series a set yeah well there there would be my, yeah, yeah i want to write cookbooks plural yeah. um i have ideas on what they are so I kind of don't want to talk about this. This is a safe space. Come on, man. I don't know. I mean, I definitely, you know, I, I really want to explore Filipino food for sure. Um, I have a bank of recipes from my grandmother that are amazing. And yeah. um, my grandmother, she turned 100 and passed away this year. Um, and her recipes were often written um, just from her like verbal conversation. So if you either if you hadn't had her, her dish, her specific dish, or don't know how to cook, like and and can just understand a recipe just by having a conversation with someone, these recipes are very difficult to um, discern and follow. Um, but I tested one out recently, and since I remember exactly how they taste and what it should look mm-hmm. like, um, it was really executable for me and I was freaking out because I made um a made palabok it's like this filipino dish that's made with a chicken gravy basically on top of it you cook chicken till it's completely broken down and almost like threads and then it's colored with annatto and it's really fragrant and rich yeah. um but I was really freaking out because I was making it for like some esteemed filipino like, writers okay and I was worried that I wouldn't be able to do it but was able to do it. So I want to break down my grandma's recipes. I want to share them. That's something that I would like to do. Um, but there's a lot of ideas. I'd I love to hear that. Do you uh, make kinilao at all? I don't know kinilao. I think it's from a region that my parents are not from. Want to tell me about it? Well, I had it at St. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, it was like raw. It was a raw 
piece of fish, but it was it was cured, and then mm-hmm. it was a coconut cream sauce mm-hmm. to it. And I just remember uh, Genevieve at Bad Saint mm-hmm. DC was telling me about it, and I was like, man, I've never had yeah. these two flavors together with yeah. Filipino cuisine. There's just it just it's like many of these dishes. There's that, so many regional flavors yeah. that are something I want to explore too. Like, I mean, the food that my grandmother makes comes from Papanga specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so regionally, there's just so much information out there. Yeah. And then we think about the Philippines in general and like how many times it's been colonized and like what these flavors are. It's like the flavors are insane because you the, the origins of, of the dishes could be, you know, somewhere like specifically in Spain or a Chinese dish. I love that that, you know, we think about these cuisines, these ethnic cuisines, but there's so much um, diversity that we just don't know about. Like I met this woman that's Haitian Jamaican, and then she was talking to me about Jamaican cuisine and um, talking to me about specifically uh, Chinese uh, Jamaican food, and I didn't know anything about that. I was super intrigued because she mentioned to me um, about her great-grandfather who is Chinese, and I was like looking at her, I'm like, oh, yeah, you totally do look like you're part Chinese. Um, And she mentioned that, you know, post-slavery in Jamaica, there were a bunch of Chinese indentured servants that lived in Jamaica. And then there's this cuisine that I just I want to taste her food because, you know, she she's she's cooking with that background of like this hyphenated um, these flavors. Flavors. Yeah. And I'm like super intrigued. Well, I hope you can write the book. I hope you can research these topics because you clearly are so passionate about this. Angela, (laughs) thank you for joining the Taste podcast. In our next segment, we are talking to Deb Perlman of Smitten Kitchen and asking her a question from a reader. So what is your favorite non-photogenic food, as in like reverse food porn? Ooh. Um, pretty much anything with a gravy on it. I mean, everybody knows gravy tastes amazing, but it's not the prettiest thing to look at. I actually have a, a dish in my um, second book. It's sort of a, a Swedish-ish meatball, so it's got that gray-brown. A beige sauce, and it tastes so good, but it's definitely like gray doesn't really play well in the yeah. Gray. I mean, it's not gray. It's just it's just not a very rich color beige either. So, yeah. um, it's beige. Are it's you... a beige. It's a thick beige sauce on meatballs. So you can imagine. Well, there, well so David Chang has got his ugly delicious. Are you familiar mm-hmm. with this meme? Yes, I, I have not watched the show yet. Right. It's like waiting. It for started me as a meme on Instagram. Though. Oh, I he didn't was, realize he was tagging these posts. It was like. It was usually Korean food, a lot of these like bubbling stews, but sometimes it was just like melted cheese on chips and stuff like that. Mm. And he calls it ugly delicious, which I think is very genius of him because there's lots of food in our world that is ugly and delicious. Do you have any other examples of ugly delicious food? Oh, what is ugly? I'm like, I feel like scrambled eggs are quite ugly. Yep. Risotto just generally is not a very pretty looking thing. Anything that's porridgey, where it's not smooth but it's not firm either, it's just going to be a little bit problematic. The mushification of foods, I feel like, has once we go mush, we we lose all the aesthetic. And pretty value. much anything with mushrooms is like a little bit problematic because they're going to cook up kind of gray brown. Yeah, it's like that mm. gray brown color scheme that doesn't work quite well. The reds work well. Mm-hmm. The yeah. contrasts work well. Absolutely. Do you subscribe to like food porn? Do you follow like the trends? Like, you know, for one example, like the overhead food shot is over. Some have said. Oh, is it? They've said that. Some That's have said really that. That's really funny. Well, maybe it's just gotten done to death. Um, I think, I, so. think, I think it's a, a weird world we live in that we can have food trends and that things can be over, like a way of looking at your food. Like what a... 
what a world we live in that we have so much food that we can get like bored of it that we can call that out of style to eat that kind of thing that said yes of course I mean I'm like I write I have a good food website I'm like I basically am immersed in it way more than I wish to be and I think that you just see something done to death and I know that the ugly delicious is great because it's a great pushback on like you know Instagram kind of turned everybody into amateur food stylists which is great but sometimes you're looking at the picture and you're like this is a beautifully lit absolutely gorgeous picture of is that a rusty spoon (laughs) why why would i eat this with a rusty spoon like and you realize when you're looking up close it's sort of weird (laughs) or edible dirt or soils Mm. like like the idea of like the the soil that comes with this like vegetable dish i don't know if you've seen that in restaurant menus what was the julie like julie child where, where she said like it's a beautiful dish, but you know, so many fingers have been all over it. Oh, like man. when you see smears and stuff like that, it's just, it's just a strange thing. It's a strange thing. Well, <laughs> thanks a lot. Appreciate it. The Taste Podcast is hosted by Anna Hiesel and myself, Matt Rodbard. It is produced by Gabrielle Lewis. Our theme music is by Steve Rydell. Interviews are recorded live at Books Are Magic in Cobble Hill, Brooklyn. Special thanks to Books Are Magic fan Emma, Michael, and Mike. Confidence wine supplied by Smith & Vine. Visit Taste Online at tastecooking.com. Tune in next week.